welcome to another life-changing message from Pastor Vernell J.R. Samuel of Hungry for God Church. For more information, please visit our website, www.h4gchurch.com. Both of them got their breakthrough. That's unity right there. I told you that this is the year of double doors. There's doors that you cannot walk through unless you're walking through with someone else. And that's why you can't go through, you cannot do this alone. Faith is not a lonely walk. That's why the Bible calls us to come into the household of faith. And that we're supposed to walk with others. Walk with others through our stories, through our situations. Come on, as, as Nephi said, you come in here broken, but you're not supposed to do the rest of your life alone and be broken and trying to figure stuff out. The Lord wants us to be each other's keeper. And I believe that if we continue to walk together in love, God is going to bring us through some doors you cannot walk through by yourself. And that's the testimony of that. That's awesome, man. I love it. See, this is, this, this is where... See, transformation happens when you allow revelation to be applied to your situation. Transformation happens when you allow revelation to be applied to your situation. See, and just like how your faith doesn't work. Somebody else said it. Like, my faith, someone was talking about getting your faith to work. Who was that? Tracy. Yeah, getting your faith to work. Your faith, <laughs> you know, the Bible says faith without works is what? It's dead. Faith without work is dead. So that means your faith needs a job or it'll die. If you're not putting your faith to work, it will die. Faith needs a job. But you have to employ it. Come on, CEO. <laughs> you got to employ it. You got you to put your faith to work. And what that looks like might be applying to houses that you don't qualify for. What that might look like is being able to apply for jobs you may not qualify for. See, everybody wants favor. Everybody wants favor. What, what is favor for? Favor is given so that you can go somewhere that you couldn't go without it. God gives us favor because where he wants to send you, you're going to need it. Because you're not going to get there based on your qualifications. If you, if, you, if you can get somewhere with based on your qualifications, then you don't need favor. So you got you to gotta also work out your favor, test out your favor. If God in areas where he give you grace and undeserved favor, then that means that grace and that favor wants to work in areas where you know you're unqualified for. And I'm asking God to hook me up. God, do me the favor. Hook me up. That's what it is. Give me the hookup, God. But, you, you're, but what happens, what needs to happen on your end is that you have to be willing to put, to, you got to be willing to look silly or foolish for a season. Because when you go somewhere you're not qualified for, you look like the oddball. Right? You stand out. But it's okay. See, you got to learn how to have tough skin in faith. When you step out on faith, you can't worry about whose toes you're going to step on. 
When God wants you to do, if God says go, you go. And again, it, it doesn't matter what you see. It doesn't matter what you can afford. It doesn't matter what you don't have. God said go, and I'm going to go. Ryan, Ryan and I were, um, we went in Shanique, we went to an event for uh, a popular worship leader who has decided to run for Congress over in California. And his, uh, his story was so amazing because, he, again, he, isn't, he has no political background, no financial backing. Like everything is just a prophetic word that came to him that he would be worshiping in, in the White House. <laughs> and um, literally, he just said, the word came several times, and he's finally decided to go for it. And we went to this event. We prayed for him. It was a bunch of other people. And we prayed over him, prophesied over him. And um, he's in, he was in New York, but he lives in California. But it was just amazing just to see this guy, like he just walking simply on a word from God. And that type of humility, that type of willingness, that type of brokenness is what I long to see in each and every one of you. That God, that, you, that your life is not too safe. That your life is not just simply based on your own merits and your own strength. Like, if you want to see the impossible, if you want to see the supernatural, if you want to see the miraculous, you got to put yourself in positions where miracles are required. Because if you can handle it in your own strength, you don't need God. See that? Now, how much of a risk are you willing to take? How much, how big of a risk? The greater the risk, the greater the rewards. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen? And he, he rewards our faith. And he gives every man a measure of faith, a seed, a measurement. But it's up to us to, to expand that faith, to stretch that faith, to grow that faith. Amen? And that's what, I'm, that's what I really feel in my spirit, that God is challenging some of you in this season to get ready to challenge your faith to grow your faith. Put yourself in positions where miracles are necessary. Apply for positions you don't qualify for. Stretch yourself. If they say no, so what? If they say yes, is what you need to think about. Right? I've been challenging my, uh, I've been doing some coaching lately, and uh, we started saying this thing. We, we were saying, you know, instead of imagining the worst case scenario, let's start imagining the best case scenario. We always say, what's the, you know, we say, what's the worst that can happen? Right? You think about that, but I also want to think about what's the best that can happen? Numbers 13, I want us to read this verse, um, Numbers chapter 13. And uh, I'm, I'm still in this thing where I'm talking about a theology of winning. Theology of winning. God just, I really want to just talk about victory. Um, shout out to Sister Carol for an awesome concert. It's powerful. As always, the one and only <laughs> Sister Carol. Where's the um, other podium we had? It's not here. It's over here. Oh, IJ, can you grab that for me, please? All right, uh, I'm going to read, a, I'm go, I might read a lot of scriptures, maybe, but if, if I feel the anointing somewhere, I'll just stay there. 
But uh, for the last two weeks, I've just been talking about um, how God wants us to begin to develop a theology of winning. And I, I mentioned how, you know, the church has not been known. People, ha people ha don't usually come to church because they want to know how to win. And I really feel like God wants to change that. Thank you. That God, let's give it up for the men. Amen. That's why we got a, men, a church with men so they can move the heavy stuff. All right. <laughs> but we um, usually people don't come to church to find out how to win in life because unfortunately the church has this demonic obsession with sin and so all we talk about is sin not sinning stop sinning stay away from sin run away from sin and so most Christians spend the rest of all their life trying to avoid sin and never really learning how to win in life but when we start, when you met, when you step into the grace of God and understand the message of grace that God has forgiven us of all sin, that God isn't even thinking about sin. As a matter of fact, He said, "Consider yourselves dead to sin; that sin is sin is actually a, is no longer alive to you, and that you should no longer pay attention." That once you cross over from death to life, you cross over from sin to grace. That sin is no longer the the, the focus of our life, because. Even if, you, if, even if I'm telling you to not sin, I'm still keeping your mind on sin. Yeah. All right? The word repent means to change your direction. So if I'm really repenting from sin, that means I'm, I'm turning my back on it and I'm not even looking at it anymore. We're dead to it and I'm now pursuing something else. So I moved, I left sin in the grave. When Christ died on the cross, he took sin buried it in the grave, he rose again, and he, we rose with him. He gave us his righteousness. The Bible says, he that knew no sin became sin for us so that we can now become the righteousness of God. So that means you cannot be a sinner saved. You cannot be a sinner saved by grace. You were once a sinner once you accepted Jesus Christ and his forgiveness, you are no longer a sinner. You are now the righteousness of God. You're now saved from sin, but you're now alive to righteousness. So your new nature, the Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Say, I am new, I'm fresh, and I'm clean. Come on. So fresh and so clean. That's who you are. The song is about you. Outcast not fresh and clean. You can't be fresh and clean without Christ. <laughs> so we have a new nature. We have a new heart. The Bible says that now he took, he took our sins we were, that, that were once crimson red and now we are white as snow. A man that's born again in God's eyes is as innocent as a newborn baby. Right? You see a newborn baby, we know how pure and honest and humble, and, and, and we admire a baby because we know they haven't been corrupted or touched with anything in this world. But when we're born again, God literally sees you like that. Innocent, pure, blameless. Say, I'm blameless. I'm pure in the sight of God. And so... We, we have to, again, I hope that from the, la for the time that you've been here at H4G, we're continuing to just break down that psyche and that 
sin consciousness, and we're learning how to develop a righteousness consciousness. Amen? We're learning how to see ourselves as righteous as Jesus. That from God's point of view, he doesn't see you um, less than Jesus because we have been given Jesus' very own righteousness. So as righteous as Jesus is, you are as righteous. As holy as Jesus is, you are also that holy. God sees you just the same way he sees Jesus because he took your sin and he put his righteousness on you. You don't have a different righteousness than Jesus. You have his very own righteousness. You're not trying to become right. You have been made right. Right? And you don't, you don't, you don't work your way into another level of righteousness. You just actually discover how righteous you already are. So you grow in, how, in the understanding of how righteous you are in Christ. You don't try to get more righteous. Are you following me? So that's, this is Christianity 101. 101. But we have been, again, we have been um, forced to continue to listen to old theology, outdated theology that has been rooted in the, on the wrong side of the cross. And uh, we have not been looking at who we are now that Jesus has done something. The cross changed everything. The cross changed everything. And it's up to us now as believers to choose to believe the right things. Because you can be in church and believe the wrong things. Jesus said, you know why the word of God doesn't work for you? Because you believe traditions. Your traditions make the word of God of none effect. So you can be in the right place hearing the wrong message. <laughs> you can come to, how many people know people who come to church every week faithfully and still struggle with the same issues they struggled with 20 years ago, 30 years ago? There's no progress, no growth, no transformation, no breakthrough, no testimonies. The only testimony they have is their salvation testimony. We thank God for salvation, but I'm telling you, we're living in an age where people are wondering if Jesus is the right choice based on the results in your life. I want to know if I should follow Jesus, but I want to see what he's been doing in your life first. I want to see some fruit. And didn't Jesus say you should know them by their what? By their fruits? That's not just for the evil people. People should be able to know that we are his and we are in him by our fruits. What results, what fruit do you have to show in your life about what Jesus has done for you that will cause the world to hunger after God? That is what we want. I, want. I want the word to work in me before I preach it to anybody else. You can't preach about a message you don't know works. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation. See, Paul knew it worked, so he wasn't ashamed of it. It's the power of God. Paul was seeing the power. He was seeing the ability. He was seeing the results. So he, I'm not ashamed to preach this message. A powerless gospel is a mockery. 
a powerless gospel is one to be ashamed of. Because if I preach about a king who was humiliated on a cross, and then we say he died, and his death looked like a defeat, it didn't look like a victory. We said he died, then he went to the grave, then we say he rose again. That message just sounds crazy. It sounds like foolishness. But the Bible says, what is foolishness is also the power of God. He takes the foolish things to confound the wise. So it's what Jesus says. He said, if I can insult your intelligence a little bit, and if you open up your mind just to consider the reality that I've declared out of my son, if you choose to believe this reality, Jesus then says, you should be able to see the power of God. So here it is. It's like, if I'm willing to, to surrender or suspend my logic for a little while and allow the word of God to renew my mind, to reshape my thinking and give me a new reality, a new parallel reality to live from, then that's how I begin to experience new realities. That's why I said, it's not normal or natural for you to say, well, I'm going to apply for a job I don't qualify for. It doesn't make sense. For Candace to apply for a house she didn't qualify for, it didn't make any sense, but she did it anyway. And it's amazing because on the other side of what didn't make sense came her breakthrough. That's the life of faith we're called to walk in every day. I don't live by what's logical. I don't live by what's possible. Come on. I don't live by what's rational. The world does that. And Jesus calls that unbelief. If, if anything you, everything you do has to make sense to you, then you're walking in unbelief. If everything you do has to make sense to you, you're living in unbelief. Faith is trust. Faith is, God, I'm only going to do this because you said to do it. It is written, so I'm going to do it. I don't need people's opinions. I don't need people's emotions. I don't need people's applause. I'm just doing it because I got a word from God. Look at Numbers 13, right? I said we're going to start there. The story of when God sent the uh, people of Israel, they were like a few miles away from their promised land. Finally, after wandering for 39 plus years, and they finally were getting to the place. Moses endured all the murmuring, all the complaining, all their gripes, all their rebellion, and they got close. And so the Lord told Moses, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. Now, I want you to hope, just look at what that was. That's verse 1 in Numbers 13. Uh, verse 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out, to investigate the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan was their promised land. Okay. So there are times when God, now God begins to show you where you're going. God wants you to, uh, there's times when God wants you to spy out your new place. There are times when God wants you to say, I'm, I want you to, I want to expose you to where you're going. Yes. 
All right. And, and that's when we get excited. We get a prophetic glimpse. We get hope. We're astonished. And then the Lord says, now, I want you to spy it out. And look at what he said, which I am giving to the children of Israel. That's the part that they should have highlighted. Which I am giving. So he told them to spy out the very thing he was about to give them. So as they went to spy, they should have been looking from that perspective. Look at the land God is about to give me. But what happened? So Moses sent, in verse 3, Moses sent um, them from the wilderness according to his command. All the men, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Fast forward all the way down to verse um, 17. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go to the mountains and see. What the land is like, whether the people who dwell there are strong or weak, whether they're few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south, came to Hebron, Ahimon, Shishai, Telmai, the descendants of Anak were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. I'm not sure why they needed to put that in there. but Then they came to the valley of Eskol and they and they're cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. And they carried it between two of them on a pole. And they also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eskol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now watch this. Verse 26. This is the report. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Now, once again, this was supposed to be a faith-boosting moment. God said, go spot the land, bring back some of the fruit and show them this is where they're going. Show them this is where they're going. See, what I love about this is that not everybody spied, right? God sent a few. And this is why you got to understand that in a congregation, there are some people who are going to go first. There are going to be some people who enter into things you don't enter into yet. And you're supposed to hear their report, a.k.a. testimonies, as a faith booster so that you can know that's where I'm going to. That's one of the keys of testimonies. So if you're in a congregation like this, we're feeding off of each other's testimonies. Because if you got a house before me, I'm not supposed to be discouraged by that. I'm like, oh, that's a picture of where I'm going to. Right? That's why you, we gotta, you can't be jealous. The reason why I'm, I'm getting people to brag about God and boast about God and share their testimonies of what he's done for you, what, what he's done for them, is because I need you. To, it's, like me, it's like them bringing back the fruit so that you can taste it early. And I can rejoice with them. Are you seeing this? 
So here it is. They come back. The fruit, they show them it. Then they tell them, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. But watch this. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses, Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb said, we are well able to overcome. But the man who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. They shut him down. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out. Saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. They came to a conclusion about themselves. And they judged their capabilities to enter into their promises based off of what they saw. That wasn't the reason why God sent them in there. And it goes all the way back to the very beginning of the verse. Now, Caleb saw the same thing. He made, he made the same assessments. He saw, the, he saw the structures. He saw the well-fortified cities. He saw the giants. But how come Caleb did not arrive to the same conclusion as them? Because Caleb remembered the word. God said in verse 2, I am giving this land to you. So did it really matter what they saw in the land? Did it matter how big the giants were? Did it matter how big the city walls were? It didn't matter. God said, I'm giving you this land. It's yours. And see, this is one thing you got to understand, church. The, promise is, the promised land is occupied. <laughs> yeah the promised land the place God wants to take you is currently occupied and you're going to drive out the previous occupants you know what happened this is what God said I'm gonna do I'm gonna make you inherit places and lands that you didn't build this is amazing the very place God wants to take you, somebody else is right there sitting in there thinking it's theirs. Until you show up. Until you show up. The Bible says the wealth of the wicked 
is stored up for the just, for the righteous. Okay? So there are some sinners who are holding on to some stuff that they are just simply safeguarding until you get there. So now here's what... <laughs> It's not until you go get it. It's not until you show up. There won't be the transference. So this is why you got to understand that after you got saved and God saved you from sin and now you're the righteousness of God, you got to go and now conquer some stuff. You got to go and now take some territory. It's not just I'm saved and I'm just waiting for the sweet by and by and I'm going to heaven. The promised land, contrary to, your, to popular belief, is not in heaven. This is the promised land. God said the meek shall inherit heaven, the earth. He has given to the children of men. So God wants his, the righteous to rise up in the earth and begin to step into positions where of influence so that we can begin to distribute, regulate, enforce, establish more of God's kingdom on the earth. It's not just going to happen by us playing it safe in church. God said, I want you to go into a land where there were, how many, seven other nations already there. And they had to drive each and every one of them out. So this is the next place for you to understand about where you are in your walk with God. Because in the beginning of their walk, they didn't have to fight. God did everything. They didn't have to plant anything. They didn't have to, God was sending food. God was sending bread. They didn't have to do anything. But when they got closer to the promised land, all of a sudden, God started giving them a little bit more responsibility. What worked for you when you first got saved ain't going to work for you now. <laughs> I know you used to be able to just pray in 30-second prayers. Then... <laughs> Doors just start opening, flying open. <laughs> Things started happening quickly when you first got saved. But as you start maturing in your walk with God, God wants you to begin to know. Now I want you to learn how to fight. As another verse that I'm not going to show you, but it actually says that God said, the Bible says that God chose to take them. He did not allow them to go through the land um, of, what was it? There was a, a God said, I, he didn't allow them to go the quicker way. When he pulled them out of Egypt, he made them go the long way because he knew that if, he went, if they went through the shorter way, they, had to go, they, they were going to have to fight. And they were not ready to fight yet. And so this, this thing, the Bible tells us that we're in a warfare. See, if we're going to be more than conquerors, that means we're going to have to conquer some things. And if you're not willing to confront things, you won't conquer anything. 
I said, if you're not willing to confront, you're not going to conquer. Somebody say, confrontation is good. Come on. So here's the deal. Israel, going to a land already occupied. These people got their feet up. These people are watching Netflix. These people are relaxing. This is my home. This is my territory. But God said, no, I'm sending you in there, and I'm letting you know you're going to tell them to ante up. Because this is my land that I, I promised you, and I want you to be in there. You might say, well, God, that's not fair. Somebody said, favor ain't fair. Favor isn't fair. This is where Christians want to get nice now. Like, I'm, you know, no, I don't want to make anybody leave. That's not nice. <laughs> That's a nice Christian thing to do. But here's what God promised. The wicked are currently occupying places that the righteous should be in. And the world has to keep going, so he's going to let them keep doing it. But until we rise up mentally, spiritually, intelligently, when we begin to recognize that God needs people not just on, on platforms and pulpits in church, but he needs people in courtrooms, he needs people in hospitals, he needs people in boardrooms, come on. God needs people in all places of life, all areas of life. God needs lawmakers who are believers, who are kingdom-minded people. And that's what we preach. But see, it's all about understanding that it's the righteous that's not just going to fall in our laps. If God has given you a call, God has given you a dream, God has given you a prophetic word, it's time for you to, to dream about that word a lot bigger than you currently are. Like, the reason why we're doing this conference, one of the reasons why... It's because it's time for us to recognize that we are a worldwide ministry. See? And if I just simply think about inviting people from Brooklyn, then I'm only going to just be having Brooklyn impact. Yes. Yes. So but I, I, I pur be purposely flying in someone from another continent to come because we, are, we know that we're called to have an international impact. Yes. Yes. Right? So it's a lot easier and cheaper to just call somebody who lives around the corner and say, hey, come preach for us. Right? But we have to, but we, we want to, we, we're stretching and expanding and enlarging our territory. Not just in the natural, but in the spirit. Amen? But here's how this word applies for you when it comes to understanding what God, what God wants to do. Your victory is going to come by you understanding one important thing. This is the one word, the one thing I want to leave you with today. Don't speak defeat. Don't speak defeat. See, winners don't talk about losing. It sounds simple, but I want to. I want you to. I just want to drive that point on that point home. Caleb saw the same things they saw, but he came and he chose to say, "Let us go now. We can take it. We can do it." 
and it was like almost like he needed to say that so that their bad negative report didn't get into his head. You know, sometimes you got to just shut some people up that they talk negative. When you're talking faith, they're talking fear. When you're talking hope, they're talking doubt. When you're talking blessing and breakthrough, they're talking about curses and sin. And like, is that all you could talk about? And I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the church people. Like, if you're going to walk in a spirit of victory and a spirit of winning, then you got to learn how not to talk defeat. When you, when you are talking about your money, listen to yourself. When you talk about your money, are you speaking from a vantage point of defeat or victory? What does defeat look like in your finances? I'm broke. <laughs> I can't afford this. I can never afford this. That's defeat. Winners don't talk defeat. A person who is determined to win in their finances changes their vocabulary and they begin to speak from the perspective of where they're going. So, I, I, I don't, so again, did it look like the people of Israel were um, underpowered or unable or less powerful than these nations? Yes, physically they were. Outnumbered, outpowered they didn't have the weaponry. They were short compared to them because they were giants. Like they naturally speaking, they did not look like they would be able to take the land. But their natural environment or their physical surroundings of what they look like physically, did not, that wasn't what qualified them. What qualified them was that God said, it's the go, it's yours. God can do anything. If we believe that God is greater, God is stronger, God is able, that God is all-powerful, then if God is all-powerful, then our life should be an echo of what we're declaring when we're worshiping him. It's not just a song we want to sing. I want to see the evidence of it. So if I say God is a healer, I'm expecting some healing to take place. Right? That's, that's, that's what we're, we, we got to... Bring an alignment to what we pray, what we sing, and what we do when we live our lives. People pray, and by the time they get home, what they say, totally contrary to what they prayed. I know more about what you believe after you finish praying than when you're praying. I'm praying for God to come through for me financially, after prayer is over, my confession from that point on is based on what I prayed. Because I can undermine everything I prayed for with the words I say after I've stopped praying. Ah, oh, man. Now I'm just getting into my message, but I don't have that much more time. Who remembers in James, James 3? Can I just turn there? I'm going to give you these last two points. Nothing matures you faster than learning how to control your tongue. 
Oh boy. That's why I said I'm really just getting into uh, where I wanted to go. <laughs> ah. Nothing matures you faster than learn how to tame your tongue. Look at this, verse 1, James 3. Brethren, let not many of you become teachers. <laughs> Knowing that we will receive a stricter judgment. That's why you got to pray for me. <laughs> well, I'm going to receive a stricter judgment because I'm, I'm teaching you every day. Thank you. <laughs> for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man. Perfect woman, able to bridle the whole body. Now, I want you to pay attention to that. James said, if you can control your tongue, you can control everything else you do with your life. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look at ships. They are large and driven by fierce winds, but yet they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Hallelujah. Man. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. Somebody was getting on James' nerve. And he wrote that. Somebody was talking to him. Verse 7, for every, watch this, for every kind of beast and bird, reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now, we're reading this, and I used to say, well, God, nobody can control the tongue. He said, no, read it in context. We can t tame a horse. We can tame reptiles and tame all types of stuff, but he's saying you can't tame another person's tongue. Just like I, I, can, can, I can tame something else, but I can't tame another person's tongue. So what he's saying is, I can't control how you speak, but I can put a rudder on my tongue. I can control how I speak. And he's now saying the tongue is so powerful. With it, we bless God. And with it, we can curse men. With it, we can help other people. We can heal people. And with it, we can damage. We can break. We can hurt. We can sabotage. We can destroy other people's lives with our words. Out of the same mouth is coming blessing and cursing. That shouldn't be, my brethren. Thing, these things ought not to be. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? No. Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. So what is, so what, 
James is giving us wisdom and saying, if we want to control the course of our life, it starts by us controlling what we speak out of our mouths. And I'm telling you, again, nothing's going to mature you faster than practicing this one truth. You see, when, 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 when uh, who is it? Uh, Solomon said, life and death is in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. What, what, what Solomon is implying is two things. One, our words literally are going to be the, the number one thing that's going to bring us into victory or is going to bring us into defeat. And he said, if you love this revelation, you're going to eat the fruit of it. You see, a lot of people don't want to know that because they don't want to be responsible. They want to say whatever they want to say. They want to complain whenever they want to complain. They want to gripe whenever they want to gripe. They want to talk about people whenever they feel like talking about them. But when you realize that my words is literally enforcing death, that if how I speak over my kids is destroying them or bringing them to life, that how I speak to my spouse is either nourishing my marriage or destroying my marriage, when I understand that my words have the power to set a fire, or put it out. I realize that I have personal sovereignty and I can determine the environment of my life. This is why the very first thing God told Adam to do when he was born was to talk. Name the animals. The first thing God told Adam, the first man to do was name things. You know why? Because it was, like, it was like a father taking his kid to the park. Like, I'm going to show you how to throw a football. And I'm going to show you how to ride a bike. It was like a day in a park with God. God said, Adam, I want you to come with me. And I want you to name all the animals. You know what he was doing? Teaching him dominion. He was teaching him how to function like him. The first image we have of God in the entire Bible is him speaking, creating. And how did he create? With his what? His words. So the first job of words was not to communicate, but to create. Y'all didn't get that. The first task, the first job of words was to create, not to communicate. When you're speaking, you are literally creating a world around you that you're going to live in. He said, Adam, I want you to name the animals because I want you. It wasn't just giving them names. He was also establishing their nature, their identity, their DNA, their makeup, their countenance, their character. He was literally creating the environment that he was going to put himself, that he himself was going to live in. So what's the point? Your words are more powerful than you want to believe. And I want you to believe how powerful your words are. If you don't have faith in your own words, you will never have integrity. 
Because for, for you to have integrity, it means that I stand on my word. See, God when God was teaching me this, he made me, he, he had to deal with my sarcasm. I was very sarcastic. And I realized God, when God convicted me on my sarcasm, when I was making jokes about people, I'm like, I'm just playing. God said, if, if, if you're playing with your words, when you want to speak, your heart won't know whether you're speaking truth or not. So if I try to declare something, I don't know if I'm really telling the truth. My heart is going to be slow to believe because I'm playing around with my weapons. So God had to convict me about even how I playfully use my words. <laughs> my words are powerful, but my words won't be powerful if I don't believe they are. So now when I try to cast out a demon, the demon is like, are you serious? You've been playing around with your words all the time. Now, do you really want me to leave or not? Or are you just joking again? <laughs> you want to speak to a mountain, the mountain don't know if you're serious. You want to lay hands and, and, and speak to a sickness, will that sickness respond? It starts with your integrity. It starts with you understanding the power of your words. It's not just something you can play around with, church. I'm all for jokes. I'm all for games. I love to have fun. But I need you to be, become more conscious of that. And this season, the year of the mouth, doors that are going to be open based on the words you speak. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want my door <laughs> that I'm supposed to be walking through, I'm supposed to be speaking to, it's supposed to open for me, halfway open because I don't trust in the own authority of my lips. God said in his word that the power of life and death lies in your tongue. Weren't you saved with your words? Didn't you confess Jesus with your words, with your own mouth, and got saved and entered into eternal life? With your own words. If your words can bring you into eternal life, your words can bring you into prosperity, your words can bring you into wholeness, your words can bring you into health. Come on. That's what we're supposed to do. The kingdom is advanced through declarations, through proclamations, through confessions. So that's why I tell you to say something. Not say, talk. Right? You can't be quiet and cute and think stuff is going to change. You got to learn how to speak up. God said to me this morning, he said, some of you feel overwhelmed because you're not talking back. When you talk back to your situations, it's like you're fighting. God wants you to overwhelm what overwhelms you. God wants you to defeat what's been defeating you. And it starts by you talking back. He said, the sword is the word of God. How do you wield that sword? By speaking it. This is where the fight begins. Your words. If you can't talk to your situations, if you can't talk to your body, if you can't talk to yourself, you got to talk to yourself too. <laughs> I said, you got to talk to yourself. And, right? David encouraged himself. 
You got to learn how to, you see, if you, you got to speak, speak up. I don't know who this word is for, but the Lord said he needs you to speak up. Talk back to your situations. That's how you resist the devil. Talk back. Hallelujah. I feel the anointing. I feel the anointing. God is looking for us to align our nature with his. The same way the people of Israel talked themselves out of the promised land, you can talk yourself into it. And I'm afraid some of you are going to start talking yourself out of some things that God is saying you can go after. This is where the cookie begins to crumble. What's coming out of your mouth is determining your future. Where you're going to go next is totally going to be based on what words you're speaking out of your mouth. <laughs> now, I can't tame your tongue for you. I can't speak for you. I can't tell you to make declarations for you. You had the weak say well. Like, I can tell you to do it, but you got to do it. Right? Let the weak say what? I am weak. So why do you say I'm weak? When you feel weak, I say the opposite. In Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, void, darkness over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. And then God said, it's dark out here. Why is the earth so void? Where's the form? Where's the structure? The Spirit was hovering over it, looking at everything. Hey, this ain't what it's supposed to look like. God shows up, then God didn't say what he saw. He said what he wanted to see. Some of you are saying what you see, and you're getting more of what you see. Because your words create. The more you talk about how bad things are, guess what's going to happen? Now everybody's quiet. This is how you change your life overnight with your words. God said, let there be light. And there was light. That's divine order. You say what you want to see. Stop saying what you see. I don't care how bad your kids are right now. I don't care how rebellious they are. You declare what you want to see. My child will serve the Lord. My son will obey the word of God. He will walk into his destiny. He will fulfill his purpose. He will not backslide, but he will serve faithfully in the house of God. You declare what you want to see, not what you see. Your marriage is on the rocks. My marriage is blessed. My marriage is thriving. My wife loves me and I love my wife. I'm submitted to her. She submitted to me. What are you, you speak what you want to see. 
I know it feels totally contrary to what you want to do in the moment. But that's where you put your faith to work. <laughs> and that's where maturity steps in. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus said, saw a dead man and said, live. This is how sons of God operate on the earth. We speak things that are not as though they were. Hallelujah. If you're sick right now, say, I'm healthy. I am strong. My body is perfect. My life is blessed. My life is perfect. See, this is how I wake up in the morning. This is the stuff I say. I wake up, okay? I'm going to take you into my bedroom. I'm sitting in my bed. I wake up. I'm tired, and I got to get up and drive two hours, take the kids to school, all, all this stuff, before I get up out of the bed, even if it's five minutes. I learned, I don't know, this may not apply to you, but I don't even really pray as much as I used to. I declare a lot more. So in the morning, I would pray, Lord, I pray I have a blessed day. Lord, I pray this day goes well, right? Now I declare this day is blessed. This is going to be the perfect day. My income is increasing. My business is prospering. My marriage is thriving. My children are worshiping God. My children are loving you. See, I just spend time declaring what I want before I get up out of bed. I'm loved. And I just spend a little time there. Lord, I'm loved. You love me. You woke me up today because you love me. You have good things in store for me today. That's what I spend my morning doing. And I feel, I realize it's more important for me to feel how God feels about me before I do anything else. Because if I don't, I can go into the world and I can have a meltdown. Because I forgot what the Lord had to say about me. Only reason why you get mad at people is because you're listening to people more than God. No one has to offend you. No one. <laughs> no one has to get on your nerves. No one. But you have to spend more time allowing God's voice to become more real than any other voice. This concludes another life-changing teaching from Hungry for God Church. For social media updates and more teachings from our pastors and leaders, please visit our site, h4gchurch.com.